Sojourn, Chapter 8, Clues and Riddles More than a day had passed since the massacre when the first of the Thistledown's neighbors rode out to their secluded farm. The stench of death alerted the visiting farmer to the carnage even before he looked in the house or barn. He returned an hour later with Mayor Delmo and several other armed farmers at his side. They crawled through the thistle-down house and across the grounds cautiously, putting cloth over their faces to combat the terrible smell. Who could have done this? the mayor demanded. What monster? As if in answer, one of the farmers walked out of the bedroom and into the kitchen, holding a broken scimitar in his hands. A drow weapon? the farmer asked. We should be getting McGristle. Delmo hesitated. He expected the party from Sundabar to arrive any day, and felt that the famed ranger Dove Falconhand would be better able to handle the situation than the volatile and uncontrollable mountain men. The debate never really began, though, for the snarl of a dog alerted all in the house that McGristle had arrived. The burly, dirty man stalked into the kitchen, the side of his face horribly scarred and caked with brown, dried blood. Drow weapon! he spat, recognizing the scimitar all too clearly. Same as he used again me. The ranger will be here soon, Delmo began, but McGristle hardly listened. He stalked about the room and into the adjoining bedroom, gruffly tapping bodies with his foot and bending low to inspect some minor details. Saw the tracks outside, McGristle stated suddenly. Two sets, I make them. The drow has an ally. The mayor reasoned. More cause for us to wait for the party from Sundabar. Bah! You hardly know if they're even coming, McGristle snorted. Got to get after the drow now, while the trail's fine for me dog's nose. Several other gathered farmers nodded their accord, until Delmo prudently reminded them of exactly what they might be facing. A single drow took you down, McGristle, the mayor said. Now you think there's two of them, maybe more, and you want us to go after them and hunt them? Bad fortune it was took me down, Roddy snapped back. He looked around, appealing to the now less than eager farmers. I had that drow, had him clean and dressed. The farmers milled nervously and whispered to each other as the mare took Roddy by the arm and led him to the other side of the room. Wait a day, Delmo begged. Our chances will be much greater if the ranger comes. Roddy didn't seem convinced. My battle's my own to fight, he snarled. He killed me dog and left me ugly. You want him and you'll have him, the mayor promised. But there might be more on the table here than your dog or your pride. Roddy's face contorted ominously, but the mayor was adamant. If a drow war party was indeed operating in the area... All of Maldabar was in imminent danger. The small group's greatest defense, until help could arrive from Sundabar, was unity. And that defense would fail if Roddy led a group of men, fighters who were scarce enough already, on a chase through the mountains. Benson Delmo was astute enough to know that he could not appeal to Roddy on those terms, though. While the mountain man had remained in Maldabar for a couple of years, he was, in essence, a drifter who owed no allegiance to the town. Roddy turned away deciding that the meeting was at its end, but the mare boldly grabbed his arm and turned him back around. Roddy's dog bared its teeth and growled, but that threat was a small consideration to the fat man in light of the awful scowl that Roddy shot him. 
You'll have the drow, the mayor said quickly. But wait for the help from Sundabar. I beg. He switched to terms that Roddy could truly appreciate. I'm a man of no small means, McGristle. And you were a bounty hunter before you got here. And still are, I'd expect. Roddy's expression quickly changed from outrage to curiosity. Wait for help, then go get the drow. The mayor paused, considering the forthcoming offer. He really had no experience in this sort of thing, and while he didn't want to come in low and spoil the interest that he had sparked, he didn't want to tax his own purse strings any more than was necessary. Uh, a thousand gold for the drow's head. Roddy had played this pricing game many times. He hit his delight well. The mayor's offer was five times his normal fee, and he would have gone after the drow in any case, with or without the payment. Two thousand. The mountain man grumbled without missing a beat, suspecting that more could be exacted for his troubles. The mayor rocked back on his heels, but reminded himself several times that the town's very existence might be at stake. And not a copper less, Roddy added, crossing his burly arms over his chest. Wait for Mistress Falconhand, Delmo said meekly, and you shall have your two thousand. All through the night, Laggerbottoms followed the wounded drow's trail. The bulky hill giant was not yet certain how it felt about the death of Ulgulu and Kimfana, the unasked-for masters who had taken over his lair and his life. While Laggerbottoms feared any enemy who could defeat these two, the giant knew that the drow was sorely wounded. Drizzt realized he was being followed, but could do little to hide his tracks. One leg, injured in his bouncing descent into the ravine, dragged painfully, and Drizzt had all he could do to keep ahead of the giant. When dawn came, bright and clear, Drizzt knew that his disadvantage had increased. He could not hope to escape the hill giant through the long and revealing light of day. The trail dipped into a small grouping of various-sized trees, sprouting up wherever they could find cracks in between the numerous boulders. Driz meant to go straight through. He saw no option other than continuing his flight. But while he leaned on one of the larger trees for support to catch his breath, a thought came to him. The tree's branches hung limply, supple, and cord-like. Driz glanced back along the trail. Higher up, and crossing a bare expanse of rock, the relentless hill giant plodded along. Drizzt drew his scimitar with one arm that still seemed to work, and hacked down the longest branch he could find. Then he looked for a suitable boulder. The giant crashed into the copse about a half hour later, its huge club swinging at the end of one massive arm. Laggerbottom stopped abruptly when the drow appeared from behind a tree, blocking the path. Drizzt nearly sighed aloud when the giant stopped, exactly at the appointed area. He had feared that the huge monster would just continue on and swat him down, for Drizzt, injured as he was, could have offered little resistance. Seizing the moment of the monster's hesitation, Drizzt shouted, HALT! in the goblin language, and enacted a simple spell, lining the giant in blue-glowing, harmless flames. Laggerbottoms shifted uncomfortably, but made no advance toward the strange and dangerous enemy. Drizzt eyed the giant's shuffling feet with more than a casual interest. Why do you follow me? Drizzt demanded. Do you desire to join the others in the sleep of death? Laggerbottoms ran his plump tongue over his dry lips. So far, this encounter hadn't gone as expected. Now the giant thought past those first instinctual urges that had led him out here and tried to consider the options. Ulgulu and Kimfana were dead. Laggerbottoms had his cave back. 
but the gnolls and goblins, too, were gone, and that pesky little quickling sprite hadn't been around for a while. A sudden thought came to the giant. Friends? Laggerbottoms asked, hopefully. Though he was relieved to find that combat might be avoided, Drizzt was more than a little skeptical at the offer. The Knoll Band had given him a similar offer, two disastrous ends, and this giant was obviously connected to those other monsters that Drizzt had just killed, those who had slaughtered the farm family. Friends, to what end? Drizzt asked tentatively, hoping against all reason that he might find this creature to be motivated by more principles and not just bloodlust. To kill, Laggerbottoms replied, as though the answer had been obvious. Drizzt snarled and jerked his head about in angry denial, his white mane flying wildly. He snapped the scimitar out of its sheath, hardly caring if the giant's foot had found the loop in his snare. Kill you, Laggerbottoms cried, seeing the sudden turn, and the giant lifted his club and took a huge stride forward, a stride shortened by the vine-like branch pulling tightly around his ankle. Driz checked his desire to rush in, reminding himself that the trap had been set into motion, and reminding himself, too, that in his apparent condition he would be hard put to survive against the formidable giant. Laggerbottoms looked down at the noose and roared in outrage. The branch wasn't really a proper cord, and the noose wasn't too tight. If Laggerbottoms had simply reached down, the giant easily could have slipped the noose off its foot. Hill giants, however, were never known for their intelligence. Kill you! The giant cried again, and it kicked hard against the strain of the branch. Propelled by the considerable force of the kick, the large rock tied to the branch's other end behind the giant pelted forward through the underbrush and sailed into Laggerbottoms' back. Laggerbottoms had started to cry out a third time, but the menacing threat came out as a whoosh of forced air. The heavy club dropped to the ground and the giant, clutching its kidney area, dropped to one knee. Drizzt hesitated for a moment not knowing whether to run or finish the kill. He didn't fear for himself. The giant would not be coming after him any time soon. But he could not forget the lurid expression on the giant's face when the monster had said that they might kill together. How many other families will you slaughter? Drizzt asked in the drow tongue. Laggerbottoms could not begin to understand the language. He just grunted and snarled through the burning pain. How many? Drizzt asked again, his hand wrenching over the scimitar's pommel and his eyes narrowing menacingly. He came in fast and hard. To Benson Delmo's absolute relief, the party from Sundabar, Dove Falconhand, her three fighting companions, and Fret, the dwarven sage, came in later that day. The mayor offered the troop food and rest, but as soon as Dove heard of the massacre at the Thistledown farm, she and her companions set straight out, with the mare, Roddy McGristle, and several curious farmers close behind. Dove was openly disappointed when they arrived at the secluded farm. A hundred set of tracks obscured critical clues, and many of the items in the house, even the bodies, had been handled and moved. Still, Dove and her seasoned company moved about methodically, trying to decipher what they could from the gruesome scene. Foolish people! Fret scolded the farmers when Dove and the others had completed their investigation. "'You have aided our enemies!' Several other farmer folk, even the mare, looked around uncomfortably at the berating, but Roddy snarled and towered over the tidy dwarf. Dove quickly interceded. "'Your earlier presence here has marred some of the clues,' 
Dub explained calmly, disarmingly, to the mare as she prudently stepped between Fret and the burly mountain man. Dove had heard many tales of McGristle before, and his reputation was not one of predictability or calm. We, we didn't know, the mare tried to explain. Of course not, Dove replied. You reacted as anyone would have. Any novice, Fret remarked. Shut your mouth, McGristle growled, and so did his dog. Be at ease, good sir, Dove bade him. We have too many enemies beyond the town to need some within. Novice, McGristle barked at her. I've hunted down a hundred men, and I've known enough of this damned drow to find him. Do we know it was a drow? Dove asked, genuinely doubting. On a nod from Roddy, a farmer standing on the side of the room produced a broken scimitar. Drow weapon, Roddy said harshly, pointing to his scarred face. I seen it up close. One look at the mountain man's jagged wound told Dove that the fine-ed scimitar had not caused it, but the ranger conceded the point, seeing no gain in further argument. And drow tracks, Roddy insisted. The boot prints match the close to the ones by the blueberry patch, where we seen the drow. Dove's gaze led all eyes to the barn. Something powerful broke that door she reasoned. And the younger woman inside was not killed by any dark elf. Roddy remained undaunted. Drow's got a pet, he insisted. Big black panther. Damn big cat. Dove remained suspicious. She had seen no prints to match a panther's paws, and the way that a portion of the woman had been devoured, bones and all, did not fit any knowledge she had of the great cats. She kept her thoughts to herself, though, realizing that the gruff mountain man wanted no mysteries, clouding his already drawn conclusions. Now, if you had enough of this place, let's get on to the trail, Roddy boomed. My dog's got a scent, and the drow's got a lead big enough already. Dove flashed a concerned glance at the mare, who turned away, embarrassed under her penetrating gaze. Roddy McGristle's to go with you. Delmo explained, barely able to spit out the words, wishing that he had not made his emotional-inspired deal with Roddy. Seeing the cool-headedness of the woman ranger and her party so drastically different from Roddy's violent temper, the mayor now thought it better that Dove and her companions handle the situation in their own way. But a deal was a deal. He'll be the only one from Maldabar joining your troop, Delmo continued. He is a seasoned hunter and knows this area better than any. Again, Dove, to Fret's disbelief, conceded the point. The day is fast on the wane, Dove said. She added pointedly to McGristle. We go at first light. Drell's got too much of a lead already, Roddy protested. We should go after him now. You assume that the drow is running. Dove replied again calmly, but this time with a stern edge in her voice. How many dead men once assumed the same of enemies? This time, Roddy, perplexed, did not shout back. The drow, or drow band, could be holed up nearby. Would you like to come upon them unexpectedly, McGristle? Would it please you to battle dark elves in the dark of night? Roddy just threw up his hands, growled, and stalked away, 
his dog close on his heels. The mare offered Dove and her troop lodging at his own house, but the ranger and her companions preferred to remain behind at the Thistledown farm. Dove smiled at the farmer's depart, and Roddy set up a camp just a short distance away, obviously to keep an eye on her. She wondered just how much at stake McGristle had in all of this, and suspected that there was more to it than revenge for a scarred face and a lost ear. "'Are you really to let that beastly man come with us?' Fret asked later on, as the dwarf, Dove, and Gabriel sat around the blazing fire in the farmyard. The elven archer and the other member of the troop were out on perimeter guard. "'It is their town, dear Fret,' Dove explained, "'and I cannot refute McGristle's knowledge of the region.' "'But he is so dirty,' the dwarf grumbled. Dove and Gabriel exchanged smiles, and Fret, realizing that he would get nowhere with this argument, turned down his bedroll and slipped in, purposefully spinning away from the others. "'Good old Quill Dipper,' mumbled Gabriel, but he noted that Dove's ensuing smile did little to diminish the sincere concern on her face. "'You've a problem, Lady Falconhand?' he asked. Dove shrugged. "'Some things do not fit properly in the order of things here,' she began. "'Twas no panther that killed the woman in the barn,' Gabriel remarked, for he too had noted some discrepancies. "'Nor did any drow kill the farmer, the one named Bartholomew, in the kitchen,' said Dove. The beam that broke his neck was nearly snapped itself. Only a giant possesses such strength. Magic? Gabriel asked. Again, Dove shrugged. Drow magic is usually more subtle, according to our sage, she said, looking to Fred, who was already snoring quite loudly. And more complete. Fred does not believe that drow magic killed Bartholomew or the woman, or destroyed the barn door. And there is another mystery on the matter of the tracks. Two sets, Gabriel said, and made nearly a day apart. And of the differing depths, added Dove. One set, the second, might indeed have been those of a dark elf, but the other, the set of the killer, went too deep for an elf's light steps. An agent of the drow? Gabriel offered. Conjured denizen of the lower plains, perhaps. Might it be that the Dark Elf came down the next day to inspect the monster's work? This time, Gabriel joined Dove in her confused shrug. So we shall learn, Dove said. Gabriel lit a pipe then, and Dove drifted off into slumber. Oh, master, my master! Tiphanus crooned, seeing the grotesque form of the broken, half-transformed barjest. Quickling didn't really care all that much for Ugulu or the Barges brother, but their deaths left some severe implications for the sprite's future path. Tefanis had joined Ugulu's group for mutual gain. Before the Barges came along, the little sprite had spent his days in solitude, stealing whenever he could from nearby villages. He had done all right for himself, but his life had been a lonely and unexciting existence. Ugulu had changed all of that. The Barges' army offered protection and companionship and Ugulu, always scheming for new and more devious kills, had provided Tefanis with unending important missions. Now the quickly had to walk away from it all, for Ugulu was dead and Kemfana was dead, and nothing Tefanis could do would change those simple facts. Laggerbottoms? The quickly asked himself suddenly. He thought that the hill giant, the only member missing from the lair, might prove a fine companion. 
Tefana saw the giant's tracks clearly enough, heading away from the cave area and out into the deeper mountains. He clapped his hands excitedly, perhaps a hundred times in the next second, then was off, speeding away to find a new friend. Far up in the mountains, Drizduard looked upon the lights of Maldabar for the last time. Since he'd come down from the high peaks after his unpleasant encounter with the skunk, the drow had found a world of savagery nearly equal to the dark realm that he'd left behind. Whatever hopes Drizzt had realized in his days watching the farming family were lost to him now, buried under the weight of guilt and the awful images of carnage that he knew would haunt him forever. The drow's physical pain had lessened a bit. He could draw his breath fully now, though the effort sorely stung, and the cuts on his arms and legs had closed. He would survive. Looking down at Maldabar, another place that he would never call home, Driz wondered if that might be a good thing.